0: Hello and welcome to the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. I'm your host, Gear Ashley Mullet. And today I want to talk about a book I've been reading about Mao Zedong, Mao the Untold Story. And when I say I've been reading the book, I actually mean I've been listening to the audiobook. But uh, anyway, just to clarify, I'll I'll get that out of the way right now. But uh, I'm, I'm listening to this book about Mao Zedong. And it really, really bothers me. It's been a hard book to listen to, and I don't know what's wrong with me if I'm a, a glutton for punishment or uh, or what. But I, I feel like when I listen to and I download just uh, categorically positive books, uh, I get a toothache uh, mentally, and it they just strike me as uh, not real. And uh, when I gravitate more towards books like what I'm reading right now about Mao Zedong, uh, you know, there's this this happy balance that I uh, <laughs> end up longing for in between, you know, the the uh, just entirely positive self-help, you can have your best life now sort of books and uh, and whatever it is you call a, a biography of Mao Zedong, um, I think I think the thing that gets me is it's similar to a horror movie. Why? Uh, and I don't watch horror movies, um, but you know, there's no counterbalance in the story of Mao Zedong, uh, at least in the 26 hours that I've listened to so far. Uh, there's no uh, person who rises up, the protagonist, to uh, overthrow Mao Zedong. There, the closest someone comes is late in Mao's life, uh, this young man named Tiger. And uh, he he is the son of a very very high ranking official in Mao's regime in the Communist Party, and uh, he has read quite a bit and is paying attention and is disgusted at what Mao has done to China, and uh, and and several people towards the end of Mao's regime become. Uh, pretty critical of him and uh, characterize what he has done to China as uh, being a, a meat grinder. You know, that uh, I think one of the phrases that's used in the book is that uh, Mao had a big belly full of evil thoughts. And each one he would uh, pull out would destroy many, many lives and cause a huge amount of... Uh, pain and death and destruction but uh, it ends up that plot uh, is not successful and even fleeing the country uh, after the plan is uh, abandoned ends up being unsuccessful and uh, and the characterization of a meat grinder is correct is is accurate I would say from what's described in this book Uh, Mao almost relished, I think you could say he did relish, human suffering and death. And quotas were established in communities for how many people needed to be eliminated. And people were killed in the most horrific ways, Uh, being beaten to death, being publicly denounced, destroyed mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically uh, by, you know, not secret police in some uh, dark corner, but as publicly as possible, getting as much of the public involved in uh, the persecution of the Chinese under the communists as possible so that uh, everybody was on the same page. Everybody was uh, initiated into this, uh, this giant meat grinder. Uh, You know, the the thing of, uh, I, I don't know. The, the, the thing that I find so remarkable is that anybody uh, ever fell for it the first time. Um, and all you can say is that uh, it was a lie. It was, it was an extremely uh, dishonest thing that was proposed. And so people got attached to the positive side of it. They said, oh, that sounds really great. Communism. More food, more prosperity. Yeah, the rich people, they they do have too much of our stuff. We should get it back. And uh, they didn't earn that. They didn't build that. Someone else built that. Let's take uh, what belongs to other people by force and redistribute it. Uh, You know, what ended up being the case is that Mao would sell uh, huge amounts of China's food. and ended up creating a famine not due to they're not being food, but due to exporting so much food for weapons and, uh, and even just for the sake of winning, uh, uh political points, you know, uh, Mao was completely, uh, oblivious, not oblivious. Uh, again, he, he almost seemed to relish the fact that his own countrymen were being destroyed and, and starving to death. And, uh, and then you get into the cultural revolution, and every aspect of culture had to be stamped out and destroyed. And uh, I think what it is, you know, if you if you look at that uh, right alongside what was re- regarded as uh, Mao Zedong thought, uh, you know, and that that being related to. Uh, sayings of Mao's that were pseudo-philosophical. You know, I think Mao wanted to destroy anything and everything that got in the way of his ego is what it boiled down to. And he was okay with destroying as many Chinese as possible uh, because that made him feel Powerful and important. And he was okay with millions of Chinese starving to death, and living in poverty, uh, while he lived in luxury and became very fat, even as other people were starving to death, uh, indulged in every kind of uh, pleasure and vice that you can imagine. Uh, he was okay with that because it fed his ego. He told himself, "I'm a very important person," and and I think even <laughs> as far as deviating from Marxism, as far as deviating from the, the principle of uh, you know everybody should be receiving an equal amount of wealth, uh, you know, getting to be the one exception. You know, it wasn't that he was opposed to wealth. It was that he was envious of anybody else that might have more wealth, more power, more prestige than he did. And so it was just a, a monstrous ego trip without limit, without bounds. Uh, but I mean, it's hard to understand how other people could get sucked into something like that. Uh, except that Mao was just absolutely ruthless, absolutely uh, had no boundaries whatsoever. There was nothing that was off limits. There were no rules. Uh, I think of uh, something you read in Machiavelli, uh, The Prince, where he says that the, the prince should not have actual ethics or Uh, rules that he imposes on himself for good conduct for right conduct Uh, because as soon as the the prince has rules and everybody knows where his limits are they know that they can just go a little bit beyond that and they can outmaneuver him but it's good for the prince to pretend that he has scruples, pretend that he has a standard of right conduct that he is adhering to And then to just completely disregard it because in that case, uh, his opponents, his enemies, uh, his competitors, they'll think he's going to do one thing and then he's going to be free to do whatever. Everything's on the table. Uh, I think Mao embodied that, uh, and it's not probably an original idea to Machiavelli, but, uh, Yeah, I I think Mao embraced that idea of uh, having no scruples. So anytime someone would even begin to become a threat to him uh, or uh, would start taking a little bit of the limelight without Mao having ultimately more of the limelight and being dominant, uh, well, then that, that just had to be stopped. That person needed to be denounced. They needed to be purged, is the word that's used, purged from the party. And usually, being purged was going to involve, uh, you know, violent, uh, just absolutely brutal, barbaric public rallies with people being uh, denounced and beaten, physically accosted, tortured, and uh, and oftentimes killed in front of everybody. And, uh, you know, it's remarkable it, just to, I guess, cement and, and drive home, uh, you know, the, the depth of Mao's uh, evil. You know, he wanted pictures and videos to be taken of his opponents being brutalized and murdered. Uh, publicly, He wanted pictures to be taken. He wanted video to be taken and for that to be uh, publicized as, as widely as possible and uh, enjoyed watching films of such things. Just a monumentally sadistic person. Uh, you know, that makes me wonder, you know, maybe Mao wasn't uh, as much an inherent of, uh, you know, Machiavelli, Uh, As you might think, uh, you know, what were his standards that he was pretending to? Well, he was pretending to Marxism. He was pretending to, uh, you know, adhering to some standard of goodness that nobody else was. uh, But he was a colossal hypocrite. Uh, You know, it wasn't supposed to be known that he was living in luxury, uh, you know, that he wasn't living under the standards that he was imposing on 600 million of his countrymen. But that seems to be uh, par for the course for uh, communists. Um, You know, what's what's remarkable too, this is as an aside, Mao was so bad that Joseph Stalin, uh, who was more powerful than Mao, uh, Joseph Stalin seems to have thought that Mao was a little much. Um, you know, Mao was so so bad that even Stalin was like, "Hey, guy, you you might want to tone it down a little bit." Um, you know, through the the latter part of Mao's reign, uh, he was sending money to. Basically anybody that was bad around the world. He wanted to send the money. And uh, just just an absolutely satanic individual. But explain to me how it is that anybody could uh, carry around Mao's little red book. Uh, could uh, admire communism. Uh, could admire uh, anything that has anything whatsoever to do with Mao. Uh, You know, there were several within President Obama's regime, I'm sorry, administration, uh, that admired openly Mao Zedong. And you think to yourself, how is it that that was okay? You know, how, how is it that that was not a just automatic you cannot be anything to do with the government and the the ruling of this people you can't you're disqualified that disqualifies you right there you know, how is it that the left was okay with promoting people that think highly of Mao Zedong? Uh, you, the the answer to that question is that the left, thinks uh, along similar lines to Mao Zedong. And, uh, and they aren't willing to go as far uh, so far. I mean, yet, but uh, in any event, I'm just blown away that communism, that Maoism, uh, Marxism, socialism, in all of its forms – this uh, pattern of thought, you know, how is it that anybody can fall for it with even just the, the barest inkling of an understanding of history? Uh, it, it's just, bah. where does it come from? It comes from ignorance. And that is why the left has taken over uh, academia and the education system because they want to control how much of that narrative. Uh, anybody gets to look at and uh, gets to make sense of and and what conclusions people come from, uh, away from history uh, with, if they read history at all. <clears throat> this is where I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to talk about my uh, attitude towards uh, authority and control, and who's telling who what to do, and how, and in what way, and should we listen? Um, You know, I think people that have known me for a long time will recognize a pattern, and uh, some of them admire it, uh, some of them uh, think it is an area that needs improvement, but uh, I have... An issue I don't think with authority, Uh, I believe, as Paul writes in Romans 13, that we should submit ourselves to the governing authorities because no authority is given under heaven except that which comes from God, and uh, that the governing authorities are uh, ministers of God to do justice. They are set in place, uh, not accidentally, but on purpose to punish the evildoer and to reward those who do good. Uh, Now, that said, where I have questions uh, is when someone is presuming authority that is not rightfully theirs, or they're behaving presumptuously uh, with regards to me, with regards to other people, if they just start getting bossy and trying to tell everybody what to do, especially in an unpleasant way, uh when it is not clear that they have been given authority uh that bothers me and i react to that you could almost say i'm allergic my brain is allergic to that uh i break out in questions and arguments and funny looks when someone who's not in charge of me starts telling me what to do and behaving presumptuously and Uh, so also this extends down to my children. So if someone is telling my children what to do and they're not in authority over my children, and especially, especially if they're telling my children, uh, to do and to not do things that, uh, I disagree with when I'm standing right there, that is a problem for me. Uh, that is a surefire way to get under my skin and, uh, I'm not always sure exactly how to respond, uh, whether to confront somebody or, uh, you know, usually I don't just directly confront that. Usually I will uh, start giving my children instructions on the heels of someone else giving them instructions uh, in front of that person uh, as a way of reinforcing that, no, actually I'm in – authority over my children. Thank you. You're not in authority over my children. Stop telling my children what to do, especially in front of me, because you're overstepping your bounds. You stay in your lane. Uh, I think that's critically important, uh, but it's completely out of whack in our culture, in our society, where the majority of kids are sent off to people who are not their parents for most of their life, most of their childhood. They are receiving instructions from multiple adults who are not their parents most of the day. And so why would parents expect uh, in that kind of an environment to be telling their children, hey, guys, this is how it's going to be? Uh, they wouldn't. you know. They're not there to tell their children how it's going to be most of the time. Uh, even in my case, you know, if I go to work, I work 60 hours a week. I come home. I wasn't there most of the time to be telling them what to do, but I am my children's father. And so I am the rightful authority. And uh, so it is my responsibility to then be giving them instructions. Um, I have a problem with people who get fussy about things that aren't consequential. So for instance, uh, if my children are doing something or they're not doing something, uh, and it's just mildly annoying to somebody else, and they start telling my kids what to do, or they, you can tell that they're feeling like they don't have control of the situation, that's causing them to panic, and so they're going to just start barking out orders as a way of trying to get control of the situation. That bothers me. And I think there's something wrong with that. It's something unhealthy. Uh, I believe that, actually. I, I believe that very strongly, that that's not a healthy thing. Uh, by contrast, I'll, I'll explain uh, what the alternative is. The alternative is, and I've seen this many a time, uh, people who say, oh, wow, I just really enjoy your children. hey tell me about what you're learning in school here lately or what is it that you're doing there? Or, Oh, you look very nice today. Or are you, you know, they engage my children conversationally as if they're human beings. Uh, That is great. And usually my children respond really, really well to that. You know, my children don't respond really well to being told what to do by people that are not their parents for no good reason, frivolously. That's and I don't respond well to that either. I don't like it, the kids don't like it, knock it off. Uh, now, I'll, I'll qualify that if my children are doing something that's destructive of property, that is not theirs, that is going to hurt themselves or others. Uh, that, is, that is a clear and present danger. Not hypothetically, you could possibly trip and fall and stab yourself in the eyeball and be blinded for life if you walk across the room with a spoon in your hand. You know, Not like that, but I mean like if they're playing on the edge of a two-story building's roof and they're wanting to do uh, hopscotch up there or jump rope, like – Okay, great. You know, tell my kids to come down. You have my blessing and let me know that they're doing that so that I can keep an eye on them and give them a talking to, okay? Uh, But what doesn't work for me is people are just making up stuff for my kids to do or to not do uh, just because they feel like they need to be in control uh, of children at all times. Now, I – I think that there is a good reason. I believe that there is a good reason to be in opposition to uh, controlling people, and uh, I'll, I'll explain here. Uh, it'll it'll take me just a second. Uh, so, you know, when you read in the New Testament about the fruit of the spirit, uh. One of the things that you read is self-control. That's in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control. That is a a fruit that is produced. That is uh, evidence that the Holy Spirit resides in you, that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is redeeming you, that is uh, sanctifying you, that is is making you holy, uh, and that God's Spirit has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You're no longer dead in your sins as you once were. You are a new creation. One of the evidences of that is self-control. Now, how does that jive with what Paul writes about uh, submitting yourself to the governing authorities? uh you can have self-control and control yourself as you submit to the governing authorities uh, and that's important. obviously, he's presuming that you have the ability to submit yourselves to the governing authorities and he's asking you to control yourself in that matter. Uh, but there are limits. Uh, for instance, if the governing authority, human authority, is telling you to do something that is in contrast to what divine authority, i.e. Uh, Yahweh God, almighty maker of heaven and earth, uh, has told, uh, then that person, that human being, is overstepping their bounds. So I'll give you an example. In the Old Testament, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, being commanded to bow down to the golden statue of the king. Everyone is going to bow down to this statue and worship it. And it is a uh, cult of personality thing. It is not unlike the same spirit, the same uh, attitude that uh, captivated Mao's China and that animated Mao. You know, wouldn't surprise me if it had crossed Mao's mind to build a golden statue, make everybody bow down to it. Uh, and if you don't bow down to it, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. You're going to burn. Uh, you know that uh, was a, a command from human authorities, which those young men in exile were not obligated to obey. In fact, in order to obey the, the commandment, "Thou shalt not have any other gods before me." Uh, prohibitions on idolatry, uh, they had to say, "I'm sorry, we, we cannot do that, O oh King. You know, our God whom we serve is able to save us, is ever able, able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. The king is just enraged at this. How dare you flaunt my authority? Tell me what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. Do you know who I am? Throw them in the fire. He has them thrown in the fire. And God, who is not obligated to deliver them, does. He saves them miraculously. They are unharmed by this furnace. They're thrown into the fire and they come out unscathed. And that is a good example of civil disobedience, of The Christian conscience at work. And it's by no means a rare example in the history of God's people. Uh, God's people have historically been very respectful of human authority because the same uh, attitude uh, that Paul is conveying when he says, Submit yourselves to the governing authority, for no authority is uh, given except from God. Uh, That same attitude animates God's people with regards to human authority. Uh, the limit is where human authority is overstepping its bounds, commanding something which clearly is contrary to God's authority, what God has said. Uh, now I want to bring this full circle. You know, Let's talk about Mao and let's talk about you know, people telling my children what to do. That book, Bothers me when people tell my children what to do when it's not necessary, because I feel like every time someone tells you what to do unnecessarily, like, like they're just doing it to be controlling, uh, and to assert dominance over you, uh, that if that's not appropriate and if they have no business doing that, if they're not actually an authority over you, that you are, uh, Training yourself to not have self-control. If you give into that, if you allow yourself to be afraid, if you if you uh, are intimidated by others, uh, you know, if the person is actually an authority over you and they have told you, "I want you to do this," and uh, it's not something contrary to what God has commanded, okay, go do it. But Uh, that can be a slippery slope where somebody is telling you to do this, that, the other thing, et cetera, et cetera, for no good reason, for no purpose, just to develop a pattern in your mind. You are going to obey. You're going to obey. You're going to obey. They're conditioning you for then telling you to do something which is not good. And, uh, so we have to be on our guard, I think, for, uh, not submitting ourselves to controlling people unnecessarily. And uh, I want to talk about uh, how that relates to the political climate in America uh, because that's what we have with the progressives. We have people that want uh, to be in control of every aspect, every facet of your life. They want to nose in and put regulations and have people, bureaucrats, that are going to go around and make sure that those regulations are being followed and they want a limitless number of variety of bureaus that will uh give benefits and uh repercussions of an unpleasant variety based on the uh following of regulations and sometimes it doesn't seem so bad sometimes it's hey what's the big deal uh other times and this is increasingly so uh, on the left, Uh, it is diabolical. And when you see the far end of the spectrum on how bad it can be, and when you see that the same thought leaders, uh, philosophers, uh, theorists who uh, are proposing this one thing in America also have proposed or, uh, Applauded, uh, you know, sick uh, meat grinder regimes, or at least have admired, looked with uh, longing at the accomplishments of Mao Zedong and Stalin and uh, etc. cetera. Uh, when you see that uh, someone of that mindset is telling you to do this, that, the other thing, beware. Be on your guard and be prepared to say, no, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Changing gears again, uh, I want to talk about hunting and uh, dovetail off of my last episode where uh, I was just about to take my son hunting. And was excited about that, was explaining a little bit about why I hunt. Um, Yeah, since then, actually on that day, uh, we ended up coming home with three deer. And I'm still making my way through uh, the process of uh, turning the meat into Uh, stuff we can put in the freezer. There's a little bit of cleaning up that needs to be done. Actually, a lot of cleaning up that needs to be done as far as uh, cutting out connective tissue called uh, silver flesh and uh, also fat. Uh, So I've heard that uh, deer tallow or deer fat uh, is not very tasty. And so uh, I've never tried uh, eating any deer with that fat in it. But uh, I've been told, you just cut it out. So anyway, we're still working on that. But uh, ended up coming home with three deer. Uh, the first two that we ran across, we were driving around. We were trying to uh, glass. And uh, we came up over a hill. There was an old dilapidated uh, water tower or grain bin or something of that nature. And Two whitetail, antlerless deer jumped up, and they didn't seem too awful spooked. And so uh, my pastor and I, we we jumped out of the truck, parked it, of course, uh, shouldered our rifles. Uh, He shot one, and uh, the other ran for a little bit, turned around to see what was going on, and, uh, I shot that one and, uh, you know, as we got closer, we realized that these two deer were, uh, a lot smaller than we had initially supposed. And in hindsight, probably would not have shot them if we had realized, uh, their size. Um, that said, uh, you know, my pastor ended up, uh, not wanting to keep, His deer, uh, we ended up loading up both of them, field-dressed them. uh, I brought them home, and between the two of them, not a great deal of meat by pounds. Uh, But uh, it was practice. Uh, Was able to get some really good meat off of both of them, and so that'll be nice. And then later in the day, just before the sun went down, we kept... Driving around and uh, tried going to one uh, piece of private land, a farm that uh, was owned by some people. Our pastor used to uh, pasture in Circle, Montana. And uh, tried hiking around there because they had seen some good-sized bucks coming up right into their yards. And uh, didn't see anything. So we hopped in the truck. We drove over to another spot. Or we were on our way to another spot that they had recommended when I saw just right off of uh, a little curve and drop uh, next to the road, uh, there were initially I only saw four deer, but they were standing right there, right on the side of the road. And uh, we got up and around the hill. and I said, Hey, I saw some deer right back there. Oh, really? They seem spooked. No, no, I, I don't think so. I think they were just standing and grazing and, They didn't look like we disturbed them too much. So we parked, hopped out, myself, our pastor, Butch, uh, my son Josiah, hopped out with our rifles and snuck quietly uh, around uh, downwind. And there were, I think, at least a dozen deer, all told, bucks and does, all over the place and very uh, interested in one another, not really paying too much attention to us. They looked and they saw us at one point and didn't spook. They, they were just uh, more concerned with what they were doing with one another than with running away from us. And uh, so anyway, long story short uh, I ended up coming away with uh, one of the bucks uh, good-sized body. He hung... Uh, once we got him back to the garage, uh, he hung up at uh, 170 pounds. And uh, my pastor ended up coming away with one of the does. And I don't know what she weighed. But in any event, it's been a process working through those three deer that I came home with. But... Uh, yeah. No, I, I think it was a good, good experience. My oldest son didn't end up filling his tag and he was disappointed about that. Uh, there was a little bit of, uh, going on. Um, uh, I, I had a little bit of a busy schedule and, uh, and what have you just with changing jobs here recently, uh, I left my job at ZI, and I'm now at a company called Island Operating, working for Newfield Exploration here in North Dakota. And, uh, Yeah, the transition between those two jobs was a little bit distracting and didn't have as much time for hunting as I would have liked. But uh, I I still am glad Uh, he got his feet wet. He got to see the process up close. I I took him out on two hunts, and he was able to see us get something and see the whole thing from start to finish. Uh, We got him some good gear, Uh, you know, I think next year. He'll be that much more motivated. His younger brother, Eli, is going to be going through hunter safety, and he's really wanting to uh, get into it. And so I'll have two hunters to take out next year, and hopefully we get our tags all filled and come away with uh, lots and lots of meat. Um, I'm also trying to include them in the process of, you know, here is what it means to, uh, to skin it, to quarter it, Uh, to process that meat, to turn it into uh, food that we can eat. Uh, I think that's a really important skill set for them to acquire. And uh, I'm excited that I have the opportunity to teach it to them. But, uh, yeah, no, related to the the topic of, you know, control, authority, uh, people telling my children what to do, you know, just to reiterate, I really want my kids to be independent, to be as self sufficient as possible, um, to be able to ask for help when they need help, uh, but also to be able to help others and uh, to not require help for everything all the time, not to be helpless. Uh, To be able to cooperate, and I think, you know, the way that we've approached hunting, working together, um, seeing it as a process where many hands make light work, I think that will help to teach them both to be self-sufficient and also to be cooperative and to be hardworking. And uh, yeah, I I just think all that is good stuff, and uh, I'm excited to be doing it. Uh, changing gears back to politics for a second, uh, I notice that there is uh, an issue right now that's at the forefront uh, concerning the caravan, and uh, I'm—I don't know—maybe there's more than one caravan. Uh, in any event, migrants from Latin America. South and Central America, want to come to the U.S., and they're coming in uh, groups of thousands at a time. And the uh, hope is to overwhelm our border security, and uh, you can almost hear the question of, what are they going to do, arrest us all? And the response from Trump's administration has been to send the military to guard America's southern border. And I think that's the right response. Uh, That is an invasion when you have thousands of people trying to come into the U.S. from another country. And that is what the military is for. They are for national defense. This is our country, damn it. And you can't just barge in here uh, and take what you want and set up shop and do what you want. You're not going to start things off on the right foot by disregarding our right to say who comes into our country and who doesn't. Uh, Now, my wife's cousin uh, would disagree with me on that. Josh from Nebraska, we've had some lengthy discussions, him and uh, some of his friends and family, that the government has no biblical authority to say who does and doesn't come into the country And that if they try to make laws and then enforce those laws, you're either uh, uh, arresting people and deporting them or uh, violent action, then they are themselves guilty of breaking God's laws regarding kidnapping and uh, murder, etc. I disagree. I think when you have thousands of people from another country wanting to just barge into your country and when they're willing to be violent, as these migrants have been, uh, throwing rocks and what have you, uh, I think that that is exactly what the government is supposed to be uh, protecting us from, from a uh, foreign relations standpoint. Uh, If they can't get that right, then I have very little to no use for them on any of the rest of it. Uh, We are a nation, We cannot be a nation without borders, and that is what the left knows as well, and I think that is why they are against, fundamentally, uh, Donald Trump's making America great again uh, ethos. They're against border security. They're against defending uh, our country from invaders, uh, because they would rather see a country uh, that is uh, the whole world in size. Uh, to where it's just a, a big global socialist utopia where there are no borders. We're all just individuals, but uh, that's just not going to work. That's uh, foolish. It that is folly. Uh, that is a Marxist dream that we will find out as a nightmare if we try to implement it, and so we shouldn't. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I find uh, remarkable Is for all of this talk of uh, borders not mattering, of uh, Trump just being this villain for keeping the migrants out? Uh, Why is it that uh, Mueller's investigation for potential Russian collusion? Why is it that that matters to the left? Yeah, you know, why is it that? We are a nation when it's convenient to the Democrats for their narrative. You know, this is America. We can't have the Russians creating memes and sharing those online. Uh, But illegal immigrants, they just love America so much. We should just let them in. I'm sorry, if your line of reasoning holds true with regards to the Latinos, that they're wanting to be here and be involved, and they should vote too. Who cares if they're from another country? They should get to vote. Uh, Why is it that 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 is okay? And yet they're on a witch hunt to try and find some connection between uh, President Trump and Russia. That would have corrupted our political process. So just to recap, the Democrats actively uh, encourage illegal immigrants to vote because they think that they'll vote Democrat, but it is the end of the world, the end of America as we know it, if some Russians created some online memes. Am I getting that right? How, how does that work exactly? Uh, it's hypocrisy. Now, on the flip side of it, I think Republicans should be concerned uh, if foreign powers are meddling in the American political process. But I think Amer- I think Republicans are concerned about that. You know, it's not like the Democrats are saying, "Hey, this is serious; they they shouldn't do that." And the Republicans are like, oh, "Ah, yeah, whatever." No, what it is is that the Democrats have uh, written themselves a blank check to go on a fishing expedition, to find anything and everything that they can on Donald Trump to try and sink his presidency, to to delegitimize it, to persecute anybody that would support him, to keep him from gaining any momentum, to keep him from upsetting the status quo, to keep the Democrats from losing their progress on instituting socialism. Uh, they're ratcheting up each administration, each time they elect somebody, each time they pass a law or a rule or a regulation or appoint a Supreme Court justice or whatever. Uh, They don't want anybody flipping the ratchet, selector switch the other direction and ratcheting it uh, the other way. They, They can't have that. And so that's what Mueller's investigation has really been about for two years. Uh, is trying to stop Donald Trump, finding an excuse to. But the migrant caravan, uh, the invasion from Latin America, from South America, Central America, uh, it it just boggles my mind that the Democrats would, on the one hand tell Americans, you need the government to be really big, to take care of you, uh, because you're not able to take care of yourself. Uh, They would do that on the one hand, but they would also oppose government action uh, when it is from the likes of Donald Trump. Uh, You know, wait a second, I thought the government was supposed to do the right thing and you know, big government's a good thing. Powerful government is a good thing. You know, why is it that you're against Donald Trump, uh, flexing the government's muscle? I thought government was a good thing. Well, the, the, the secret is that government is a good thing according to the Democrats when they're in charge, right? Because that's what they ultimately care about. They care about being in charge. Uh, I think it's remarkable that as many Americans as do, uh, can't just see that for what it is. The left is unprincipled, not unlike Mao. Uh, They just want power. And they're willing to do and say anything to get it and to retain it once they have it. Uh, To finish off today's episode, I want to talk about The chilling effect that political correctness has, and there's really no uh, limit uh, to what people will be afraid to say if they feel like things have to be uh, acceptable to the powers that be in order for them to say them. You think about the contrast between freedom of speech Uh, as an American institution, but also as a concept that's universal. You know, I am free to say what I please. Uh, And what is the exact opposite of that? Uh, If you are told uh, not to say something for fear of losing your job or losing your life, being uh, disenfranchised, uh, that is the opposite of free speech. Uh, The idea of free speech is you can say what you will and the government and the powers that be are not allowed to uh, deprive you of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness as a result. Uh, But we lose uh, the benefits of freedom of speech when we allow political correctness to tell us uh, what we are Allowed to say and what we're not, and how we can say it and how we can't, uh, and to leave things nebulous at all times for uh, criticism, for not just criticism, but for uh, lynch mob mentality reactions to the things that we say, destroying our careers, destroying our employment prospects, destroying our social lives, et cetera. Uh, you know, think about uh, M- Mao's book. Or, or rather, this book about Mao that I'm I'm reading, Mao: The Untold Story, and people feeling afraid to criticize what he was doing. Well, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people being uh, either killed or suffering horribly, uh, being persecuted by their own government, uh, and that couldn't be criticized. That couldn't be spoken against. Uh, For fear that, well, you're next, if you say anything about it. Uh, That is a huge, huge part of uh, why it continued, why it was allowed to happen. Uh, But the Chinese, I wouldn't say, had a concept of free speech like America does. Uh, You know, if in America we allow it to be the uh, new normal for Uh, college campuses to be places where uh, free speech, uh, uh, genuine original thought is shouted down and rioted against if it uh, infringes on or questions or challenges progressive uh, uh, propaganda. If we allow that to be the the new normal where free speech is not critically important and it's not something we defend, uh, then what is to stop somebody like a Mao from coming into power and then saying, you know what, uh, the riots are not enough. We need to officially shut down people that say this, that say that climate change is not a man. Man-made, uh, man-made phenomenon is not a, uh, real serious pressing, clear and present danger uh, that we need to uh, take control of the economy to fix. You know, we're we're not okay with you criticizing the uh, state funding of Planned Parenthood, so we're going to throw you in jail uh, because you tried to give a lecture uh, calling for action against Planned Parenthood or because you took a video of Planned Parenthood executives talking openly about selling fetal tissue for profit. Uh, talking callously about what they do with uh, abortion, how they perform them, how they talk women into getting abortions, and what their fears are as far as an undermining of their business model uh, through education, through what have you. I mean, if if it becomes uh, not only something that the masses shout you down for, but let's. What happens when those masses start to elect representatives that then will use the power of the state to shut down conservative thought, and not just conservative thought, but free thought? Right. That's what's at stake. Uh, it really isn't about conservative versus liberal. It's about freedom versus tyranny. It's about the ability to criticize and challenge. Uh, what's going on when it's wrong and evil, and to do so in a cogent, uh, rational way without being punished for that. Uh, When we turn our backs on that as being uh, sacred, a sacred right, a sacred duty, then uh, there's no safeguard against uh, someone like a Mao coming in uh, and persecuting us as a people, destroying our nation. Uh, if we allow that to happen, then the consequences that come with a Mao-like personality, or Stalin, or Hitler, those consequences uh, are uh, the bed that we've made that we get to lie in. Uh, you know, by contrast, you know, if we As Christians regain the Christian conscience, the same conscience that animated Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. That Christian conscience that says, I'm going to respect you and your authority insofar as you actually have the authority to tell me what it is you're telling me, and that I'm going to respectfully refuse to obey where it is you ask me to do something that is ungodly, and I'm going to call for repentance. Preach the gospel in season and out of season, where you're openly, flagrantly sitting, and you're mocking, you're you're taunting a holy and righteous God. Uh, I'm going to call for repentance. I'm going to speak clearly and say that is ungodly. Uh, that's what we have to regain if we want to uh, not make America great again, but if we want to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God in this context. You know, If this is where I was born, if this is where you were born in a, the United States of America at this very time in history, this is our context. So what does doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God look like right now and right here? We have to figure that out. You know, Micah six eight, he has shown you a man. What is good? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Do justice. Do justice. Not going with the crowd. Proverbs talks about it being evil. If you just go along with the crowd, whatever it is that the majority are saying, you just go with that. That's evil. That corrupts justice. You know, it was a a crowd shouting, crucify him, to Pilate uh, regarding Jesus. And it was Pilate saying, I find no fault in him. He washed his hands. Is that us? Is that who we want to be? Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Truth is whatever the majority say it is. No, 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 no. Truth is whatever God says it is. Whoever trusts in him is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Whoever trusts in Yahweh is safe. And if we put our trust in him, and if we do justice according to God's standard of justice, if we love mercy, where God is merciful and where God calls us to be merciful, if we walk humbly with the Lord our God, not getting self-righteous, being humble, but no less bold, God's glorified, whatever direction America goes. You know, if America turns into Mao's China 2.0, then God is still being glorified as we are like those youths in Babylon saying, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. That is our responsibility Just as much and to counterbalance uh, what Paul writes in Romans 13. If you just say Romans 13, Romans 13, Romans 13, well, then what stops you from uh, just going right along with uh, a a Nazi uh, concentration camp guard who says, I want you to escort these prisoners to the gas chamber. And then I want you to take them out back and bury them in that big hole. You know, what, oh, well, Romans 13 says, obey the governing authorities. Uh, Hold on a second. Read the whole Bible. Not just that one little verse. Read the whole context. You'll see God continues to reign. You know, Mao Zedong doesn't become God uh, when he takes uh, you know, control of the country. He doesn't become God. God is still God over Mao and everyone else. And ultimately, we have to obey God rather than men if there is ever uh, a conflict between the two. In any event, with that, I conclude this episode of the Garrett Ashley Muller Show. Uh, I would recommend, if you have a strong stomach and 30 hours... Uh, read Mao, the untold story, uh, beware of socialism, communism, Marxism, uh, Maoism and all its, uh, forms, uh, just know truth and be bold and be courageous and be independent. And don't let people who aren't in charge tell you what to do and be self-sufficient, uh, or try, you know, see how far you get. You know, that's biblical. It really is. It isn't biblical to be helpless and limp-aristed. Uh that is not necessary in order to be a good Christian. In fact, I think uh, all evidence points to the other. You know, Jesus, uh, you know, if he's painted as the lackluster, effeminate, uh, so soft-spoken that you question whether that's really a a, a woman, uh playing him on the screen sometimes uh, you know Jesus was bold and Jesus uh, when he saw thousands that had come out to listen to him teach they, they didn't have any food with them or didn't have sufficient food uh, he fed them he provided for them. You know, when he saw that people were sick, he healed them. When he saw that they were possessed by demons, you're thinking scary stuff, evil, evil, evil. He cast the demons out, commanded them with authority. You know, when you're exercising a demon, you don't say, no, Mr. Demon, please. uh, My name's Ned Flanders, and I would really appreciate it if you would get out of that person. If you don't mind, no, shut up. Get out of here. Be gone. Go back to hell. <laughs> you know, Jesus was bold. We should be bold. We should be humble. We should be willing to suffer where it is appropriate to suffer. And we also have to be, first and foremost, obeying God. And uh, anyway, with that, I close this episode. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, If you have anything to add, any comments, questions, concerns, objections, complaints, uh, you can either keep them to yourself or you can uh, reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, My Gmail is GarrettMullet at gmail.com, naturally. Uh, Reach out, find me, do a Google search, you'll find me, and uh, let me know what you think. Thank you.